message today is called The Undercurrent. It is kind of strange to be having church on New Year's Eve, and though it's a bit strange, there's also something really beautiful about it. You know, for the remnants, I was going to say for the remnants of our church that remain in town, but I'll be honest, there's way more of you here than I thought there would be. Not saying that you shouldn't have come, but um, there's like camping trips of 100 people, all sorts of people overseas away, and like, so this is amazing. Turns out there's more of us than I expected that didn't get the invite, and so... Welcome to the birthday party of like five people. It's good to have you here. Um, it's a bit weird, but it's also really special for us to worship God together as kind of the full stop to our 2023 chapter. Almost as if to say, God, despite the good moments, despite the challenging moments that we've walked through this year, I'm going to finish it off and surrender to you. Because when it's all said and done, when you don't know how to feel about the year or you're not sure how to respond, when you don't know what to make of it or why things happen the way that they did, the most appropriate response to all of that is to simply worship God, to lift our gaze towards His goodness in spite of it all. Now, we've just lived through a year that God knew about in advance, down to the most minute detail, and yet here you are. You made it. You persevered, you overcame, you may have stumbled, but you did not fall. And for some, it would have felt like you had to drag yourself in today, but drag yourself in, you did. And there's something to say about people who keep turning up and keep on going. My prayer for you is that the trials and the difficulties that you face this year have formed a stronger foundation for you to build on in the, in the years to come. My prayer is that the disappointments and knockbacks uh, allowed you to seek God earnestly, fervently, with all of your heart. And in that honest pursuit of Him, you found Him. And as you found Him, He began or continued that process of restoring your soul. My prayer is that you can actually look back on 2023 and smile. That there's at least some clear bits and pieces that you can say, absolutely, the hand of God was upon it. You know, I've been reflecting on the year that we've had, and if I'm to be honest, I think this is the hardest year that we've had on a personal note. I, I don't know exactly how you measure that. Um, there's, no, there's no scale for it, and yet I just know there's been some mornings we've had to wake up with close to no sleep, teething children, the whole deal, and just turn up once again. And at times that's been easy, and at other times it's only been by the grace of God that we've been able to do it. And yet despite the challenges, it's also going to go down as one of the greatest years that we've ever had. On a personal note, we've welcomed uh, little baby girl Oakley, fresh, precious little Oakley. She is the most beautiful ray of sunshine in our lives. She's gentle, sweet, she's filled with giggles and smiles, and she has reminded us that one of the greatest gifts that God gives His people is human relationships. We've seen our little two-year-old Boston flourish and grow, and he loves being in church, and his personality is now fully on display. A little less so in church, he can be a bit quieter when he's here, which is okay, but at home he's off the wall, he's off the gate, the chain's off the wall, whatever you, however you want to put it, like, this kid is dinosaur, bird, and everything in between. It's just so fun to see his personality come alive. So while it's been difficult, man, some of these precious moments that we don't ever want to take for granted, that we never want to forget, those have been there too. And then for church, we've seen around 640 people. You need to capture this because this is going to blow your mind. 640 people have attended a service at our church who had never been before just this year. That's crazy. That's even more than our very first year, about five years ago, when everyone was new. And so God continues to build His church. God continues to draw people to Himself, and it's just so amazing. And I'm, I'm so proud of you and our wider dream team at the way you've so graciously and lovingly welcomed people. We've always said that this is a place where you can belong despite what you believe. 
that everyone's in a different place in their journey. And as long as you are respectful, that you can come and you can be wherever you're at on this journey. And so thank you to everyone who's just done such an amazing job of welcoming others. That's not just a dream team thing. That's a I love Jesus thing. That's a this is my church thing. That's a I'm always on duty because I want to show the love of Christ to those that get drawn into the house. We've had over 250 people actively respond to devoting their life to Jesus. We might say that they've been saved, they've become Christians. And for some, it was for the very first time. And others, it was this coming back moment for them. They had an intimate moment in the presence of God where they're once again met by the grace of God to begin that journey again. This is why we do what we do. That's an insane amount of people. And you might say, well, does the number really matter? No, it doesn't. But the people behind the number matter. The 250 people that came in one way and left different, that matters. That's why we do what we do. We saw 22 people get water baptized. 22 people who were not only saved by the grace of God, but are so passionate about it that they want to publicly declare it in the hopes that their testimony of what God has done in their life might stir on and and inspire somebody else's faith. This is a church in motion, and it's really beautiful to be a part of it. You know, some people try to claim that the church is dying, but if they could see what I say, I would beg to differ. I would say that God is building His church with power and urgency. I would, if someone were to say that, I would yell at them, metaphorically, of course, like I yell at the ref who's missing key parts of the game. I'm like, what are you watching? What are you looking at, ref? How are you missing that? How do you not see what I see? The church is alive, it's active, it's growing, and God is doing amazing things. And so what do I share on New Year's Eve? A year that has been difficult, but also our most fruitful year. Well, I'll tell you what I did. This week, I took the liberty to sit down with a nice coffee. Now, this is going to be divisive. It was Starbucks, and it was delicious. Anyone reckon that's a nice coffee? Norm, don't shake your head. Four people? It's so delicious, I can't even remember the name of it. It's like toffee, oat milk, latte, cake, something. Oh, my goodness. I think that's what flows in the rivers in heaven. Anyway, I treated myself. I sat down with a coffee, and I prayed for you especially those not in church today because they, they needed it a little bit more than you lot. <coughs> I'm joking. And if you're listening to the podcast right now, it's too late. You went in the room. <laughs> I said, as I prayed for you, as I sat there, and yes, I, I closed my eyes in the middle of Starbucks and I just, I wasn't weird. So I prayed silently, right? Um, I prayed for you and I said, God, this year has been phenomenal. Would you do it again? Would you continue to blow us away with your goodness? Would you continue to reveal yourself to us? And would you unify us and both simultaneously unify us and release us as a people? May we be so tightly knit that we would be like inseparable brothers and sisters. And would we be so mobilized and released that we're all out there doing different things, serving different groups, making a difference in various different ways, while all feeling like we're backed by the biggest church cheerleading squad. And as I prayed, God brought my attention to a handful of instructions in His Word. These are just instructions for believers. Now, they're not unique to us. They're not special to us. But I do believe God brought my attention to them uh, as if to highlight them for us as a church in 2024. See, rather than resolutions, which you may or may not engage with uh, today, tonight, tomorrow morning, I'm not sure. um, I want to encourage you instead or as well as to establish an undercurrent to your life where the surface is far less important than what, than what runs deep within you. See, sometimes the surface of a river can be choppy. It can be turbulent what's going on on the surface. But there's a strong current underneath. 
It's a current that knows what direction it's going in. It's a current that forges a deep path despite what's happening on the surface. It's kind of like a heart posture or an attitude or an approach, a filter by which everything passes through, your thoughts, your decisions, your language, and your actions. That's what I thought, that's what I felt God draw me to uh, this week in preparation for today. And so here are some reminders from God's word for you as an individual and for us as a church heading into 2024. The first one is this. Uh, Number one, reestablish priorities. Um, After a few sentences encouraging listeners to not worry about how they're going to provide for themselves, Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 31 to 33. He says, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. At the start of this passage of scripture, Jesus encouraged listeners to not store up treasures on earth, but instead store them in heaven. Now, the quick and easy conclusion, but the incorrect one, is to assume that Jesus is saying that we need to disregard our finances and just don't worry about how you're going to feed your kids. Just don't worry about financial pressures. But that's not what he's getting at because there's plenty of instruction in God's Word about being good stewards of the money that we have. And we have to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, which means in the context of all of Jesus' other teachings, just being irresponsible and not worrying about it would be inconsistent. That doesn't line up with his other teachings. So that's obviously not what he's trying to get at. But he's speaking to the position of our heart in the midst of a season of need. When Darcy wanted to start dating me when she came to New Zealand, she was here for a year, and um, I was reluctant, not because I didn't want to, (laughs) but because I am a bit too black and white. I'm a bit too forward-thinking and planning in my um, consideration, and I knew that her visa would eventually run out and she'd have to move back to the States. I didn't want to enter into a relationship that I knew had an end date on it because I wasn't prepared to move to America. Well, she would say, oh, don't worry about that. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And I'm like, cool. Just saying don't worry about that doesn't make me not worry about that, right? Like being told to calm down doesn't make you calm down. It doesn't really work that way. So I remember thinking, man, we need to consider what's going to happen because we're inevitably going to get to that date And when we do, if we don't have a plan, nobody else would have made a plan for us. Darcy's encouragement to not worry was just her attempt to buy time to win me over and lure me to America. (laughs) You lose. (laughs) (laughs) But, But that's not what Jesus is trying to do here. When he says don't worry, he's not saying don't consider how you're gonna feed your kids. He's not saying don't be wise and consider about our making plans and providing for your family. But he's speaking to the heart of it and saying, don't worry about it. Don't carry a weight around because of it. We can have confidence that we're going to be provided for. It's more of a heart challenge than it is a practical one. Jesus is challenging us to consider our priorities and to place our trust in Him. Have you made room for the provision of God in 2024? Or have you strategically worked out the need to rely on God? I'll get all my ducks in a row. I'll do all my budgets. I'll figure everything out. So whether God comes through or doesn't, doesn't actually affect me. I'm just going to live my life and be in control of it. Or have you actually left room to say God has to come through or I don't know what's going to happen. Now, don't make promises for God. Don't just leave a deficit and say God will fill it. Hear from God. Spend time in His presence. Listen to what He's saying. Look at the promises in His Word and make room in your life for God to provide. Seeking God in His kingdom is an overflow of provision into our lives. See, we give our first and our best to that pursuit, and His promise is to take care of the rest. Now, let me just clarify. This is not what God is saying. Jesus is not saying tithe financially 
above your means. Don't do that. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what you should do. We should never be taking out loans to give her anything silly like that. He's, he, in his word, he says, tithe according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. He's not saying run your family into the ground to build the church. He's not saying you have to, church, you have to serve at every single church event and then God's just going to take care of your family at home. That's not what he's saying. But he's trying to redirect our heart's focus. So if you focus on living by kingdom principles, if you give of your gifts and talents to build the church and extend and advance the cause of Christ, and if you live by faith and not by sight, you will live in the overflow blessing of God. In the same passage of Scripture, right before the part I just read, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 20, 21, he says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, in this instance, he is actually talking about money, but the principle is wider, right? It's whatever you place the most value on will draw your heart towards it. And in 2024, if you want your heart to desire after and yearn after the things of God, make the kingdom of God your priority. This is not a reward. He's like, if you do this, then I'll give you this. It's a byproduct. It's simply what happens and overflows when we prioritize the things of God. Worrying less about where the provision comes from gets a whole lot easier when we simply draw nearer to the one who promises to provide. I could do with a little less worry in 2024. So as for me in our house, we're going to draw nearer to the Prince of Peace, towards Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. The God will provide. The Lord will provide. We got there. Number two, this is the second thing is this, unreserved worship. And probably of all of the five things I'm going to give you today, this is the one I felt God probably speak to me the clearest on. He showed it to me very clearly. He said, a time has come to worship me in unison, but as one standing alone. A time has come to worship me in unison, but as one standing alone. You know, when we worship God, it's not about singing songs, but it's about bowing down before the King of heaven. It's about thanking God, declaring his goodness, lifting our gaze, and simply being at the feet of Jesus. I think of Mary and Martha and that story in the Bible where she's just knelt at the feet of Jesus, prioritizing that moment. That's why it's so paramount that you do everything that you can. And I know how it goes with kids. It can be difficult sometimes. But do everything you can to be in church on a Sunday for the entire moment where we're worshiping God through song. Like this is not the warm up to the service. This is the most important part where it's less about what do I get and what's in it for me and more about God, you're worthy to be worshiped and prayed and exalted on high. Your worship of God is not represented by the worship of the room. You can be stirred and you can be carried by the worship of the room, but your worship is not represented by the worship of the room. Your worship of God to songs of thanksgiving and praise is but a glimpse into the surrender you carry in your own heart. Now, I felt God strongly encouraged me to call out a more undignified approach to worship. And before we get ahead of ourselves, I'm not talking about interpretive dance and waving flags. Like, that's not us, all right? You wave your flags at home. Um, we're not going to do that. But in 2 Samuel 6, when the Ark of the Covenant enters the city of David, King David is dancing around in his linen ephod. Most of you are like, cool. That's kind of like underwear. It's like his undergarment in the day, all right? And so Mikhail, Saul's daughter, berates him for this. Remember, David's the king. He's like, how on earth could you dance around undignified like that? Like, you are the king. Compose yourself. Like, this is outrageous. She says, um, basically, how could you not care what other people are thinking? And I love David's response. He says, essentially, God chose me and appointed me, and I'm thankful, and I'm going to celebrate him, and I don't care who's watching. And he essentially goes on to say this. You think that's bad? 
I'm prepared to be even more undignified than this. And I'm freaking out because I don't know what the next layer of more undignified than that is. I'm like, David, keep your ephod on. I don't know, I don't know where it goes from there. His worship of God in this moment was expressive. It was jubilant. It was surrendered and unreserved. His love for the Lord was more compelling than his fear of man. Do we worship like that? I want to give you just one of the many pictures of what worship looks and feels like from the Bible. Revelation 7, verse 9 to 12. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, referring to Jesus there. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshipped God. They sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Sound like a very good song grammatically, it's terrible, but you get the picture. Can you imagine this scene? There's an uncountable number of people and angels fixated on God whose radiant glory is so overwhelming that they are urged to the ground to worship with their face down, singing songs of worship and praise. This angelic proclamation of the majesty and splendor of God holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Man, when I read that, I'm like, I just want a drop of that in our gatherings. I just want like the smallest sniff of the fragrance of that kind of worship as we gather to worship the same King. See, hands in our pockets and kind of half singing under our breath. That's not you being comfortable. It's you holding on. And worship is about letting go. Worship is about surrender. Can I challenge you to worship God in unison with one another, but to do so like you're standing alone before God? And I don't just mean like you're the only one in this room, but you're before God himself in the heavenly realms. To acknowledge the privilege and the heavenly splendor of that moment. A moment where we're just in awe of the majesty and goodness of God. And the only thing that feels right is to lift up our hands, to fall on our knees, and to lift up shouts of praise. And this is not about church looking a certain way. I couldn't care less about that. I just know what getting uncomfortable in worship has done for my faith journey. So here's the challenge. Lift our hands to surrender. And you might say, that's frosty. That's too much for a brother. Start with one hand. Do a little. <laughs> do, do, do the Alanis Morris here. I got one hand in my pocket. You know, like just a little bit. And then like, hey. It's not about the hands. It's about a physical posture to say, God, here I am. I worship you. You're good. You're great. You're worthy of worship. What that does to this is magnificent. Sing like you don't care who hears you. I do, and so apologies um, to anyone nearby. My heart's good, just my voice isn't. Um, I assure you, no one's really listening. They might catch a quick, oh my goodness, Lord bless them, but... Then they sing. If we're all just singing and worshiping God, no one really cares about your voice. No one's thinking about you like you think they're thinking about you. Just sing like you don't care who's hearing. Add in your own shouts of joy when you just, as you're singing, you know, 
I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and you remember a time when God moved the mountain in your life. Thank you, Jesus. Like, it's amazing. It's not like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Let's just get through it. Like, let's truly worship God. Here's a couple of places in the Bible, in case you don't believe my word. The Bible tells us to do this. Ready? Psalm 28, verse 2. Listen to my prayer for mercy as I cry out to you for help, as I lift my hands towards your holy sanctuary. Nehemiah 8, verse 6. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Lamentations 3, verse 40 to 41. Instead, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. Let's, let us lift our hearts and hands to, the, to God in heaven. You must say, ah, oh, that's, that's just the Pentecostal way. That's just the charismatic way of doing it. That's just how you do it at Elam. That's how they do it in heaven. This is not a denomination thing. This is not a preference thing. This is a fear of God thing. This is for those that are genuinely thankful for the grace of God in their life. It's for those that realize that without Him, we're nothing. It's for those that want to make a broken attempt to bestow all the honor, glory, and praise upon God that He deserves. I believe your faith will expand and your love for God will grow if you're willing to become a little bit more unhinged in worship. I dare you. Give it a go. We're going to sing again today. No flags, but see how you go. Third thing. There's two of the longest ones, so relax. Okay, third thing. Intentionally generous. Isaiah 32 verse 8 says, But a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. I love that God highlights a key distinction. As godly people, we don't go, sorry, generous opportunity doesn't come looking for us. We actually go searching for it, right? A generous man devises generous things. In other words, he thinks ahead. He makes plans, he puts money aside, and he looks for opportunities. As God's people, we aren't trying to get away with the least amount of generosity as possible. Ha, they didn't ask me, so I'm not going to. It's not about trying to get away with the least amount of generosity as possible, but actively searching out ways to bless and care for others. Now, many years ago, um, when we were based at our Botany campus, we had one of our youth interns there, and they were tasked with the job of sharing in our Sunday service around giving. And I remember this young guy got up and he shared about the giving, and if I'm to be honest, like, I'll be open here, I didn't expect to hear anything new. I was like, oh, yeah, like he'll share some stuff. It'll be encouraging. It'll be the word. It's good. Let's go. And as he was sharing, he said a phrase that captured me. It was about six or seven years ago, and I've never forgotten it. He says, rich people aren't generous. Generous people are generous. I'm like, he's not wrong. Generosity has never been about the amount, but about what that amount means for the one who gives and the one who receives. That's why Jesus highlights the poor widow in the temple giving her two coins as someone who was notably generous. And yet she only gave two coins. Her sacrificial giving is what captured Jesus' attention. It was just two coins. But for that woman, it was generous. For someone else, two coins might not have been generous. And in 2024, I'm not challenging you to have more money. I'm not challenging you to have more time or have more help to offer. I'm just challenging you to be generous with what you do have. Psalm 37, verse 25 to 26 says, Once I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the godly abandoned on their ch- or their children begging for bread. The godly always give generous loans to others and their children are a blessing. Let's not wait for a scheduled mission offering before we decide to give generously towards mission work. Let's not wait for the Christmas box offering before we decide it's a good idea to help put food into the hands of families that need it. In fact, we have our food 
bank ministry that runs year long. You'll see a sign out the front. You can take a photo of what's needed. You can bring items in during the week on a Sunday. Let's continue to be a blessing to those in our community that need it. Let's not wait to be told about ways from the front to be generous, but let's go searching. Ask God to open your eyes. And it won't always be money. Often it will be, but it won't always be, right? Like sometimes it's a helping hand with the lawns, some babysitting, it's lending something, it's using a skill that you've developed to bless somebody else. I love this quote, you are never more like God than when you give. It's true, right? And that's why for God so loved the world that he gave. One of the most purest acts of love we can show to someone is to give. I was quite sick, obviously, over (coughs) the week, um, over Christmas, and Darcy had to step in there and it's such bad timing. Carol service on the Friday, then Christmas Eve service and Christmas Day service. Some would call it a strategic sickening, but I promise you it wasn't on purpose. Um, Darcy was a champion, stepped in to cover everything. And we had Indian and LJ, um, this amazing couple, come and help us out on Christmas Eve because they could see it was going to be tough with me stuck on the couch. We've got two little ones and all of that going on. They came around to our place and they just played with Boston and Oakley for a couple of hours so I could go sleep and Darcy could learn two sermons, right? I think I had it rough. She she had it harder. Um, They even turned up to our house with dinner, which was delicious, by the way. My gosh, better than anything I could ever do. And on top of that, they decided they just didn't clean the backlog of dishes that we had built up from the last two days. It was just amazing. And Darcy said it so perfectly to them uh, on that occasion. She said, guys, this is the best Christmas present ever. They were generous with their time generous with their hospitality, and made the world of difference to us. Um, I know we've said thank you, but thank you guys. Like, that's amazing. We not only felt loved by you as people, but we felt the love of God and the support of a church community in that moment. Then on Christmas Day, they call us because they know I'm still sick. I obviously haven't been able to preach. And they're like, we're going to bring McDonald's around to your house. We're guessing you probably don't have lunch plans. We're like, you're right. Um, And being Christmas Day, I was probably going to be on the couch most of the day again. And they're just looking for ways to be generous. They're devising ways to bless others. And so they came around and they brought us McDonald's, which was just amazing. They searched for ways to be generous and it meant the world to us. Now imagine we had three or 400 people devising ways to be generous towards each other and towards our community. It would be such a powerful display of the love of God. Now our heart has always been that our community would be better because we're here. I want our reputation as a church in the community to be one of generosity. That people would understand we didn't come to be served but we came to serve. And I want us to jump all the way into that in 2024. Fourth thing of five is this, seek the real Jesus. Hebrews 11, six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must first, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now I picked the new King Jimmy version, the new King James version, because it uses the word diligently. Because to be diligent is to be thorough, dedicated and a valuer of truth. See, I felt God calling us to be a, to, to enter into a deeper pursuit of him. And I've said the real Jesus because it can be all too easy to find ourselves seeking after a Jesus that doesn't exist. You know, through modern culture, it can be hard to block out the depictions of who he is and what he's actually like. You might imagine him as some beautiful, long-haired, blue-eyed guy with a Colgate smile. It's likely not what he actually looks like. The Chosen's probably, you know, a good idea. You might recall a lot of what you've heard in Sunday sermons or podcasts that you've listened to. And while all of that's fine, there just does tend to be a bit of a lean and a bit of a focus on the agreeable parts of Jesus. The Jesus 
loves everyone side, right? That Jesus died so that you could have life side. Jesus left the 99 and he went after the one. He's like a gentle shepherd who knows the, the voice of his sheep. And look, all of that's true, but the problem with developing a focus on the agreeable side is we build a confirmation bias. Anything that are like those concepts reaffirms what we believe about Jesus. And anything that's not quite like that, we kind of just push it out or we subtly ignore it. Because that same Jesus flipped tables and chased people with a whip when they mistreated God's house. He warned people about being spat out of God's mouth because they lived lukewarm lives. He called his close mate the devil because he was acting against the will of God. He's gentle towards this woman that's caught in the act of adultery. And when the accusers finally leave, his parting comments to this woman who's feeling rock bottom is, get up and leave and stop sinning. Like Jesus loves us and he welcomes us as we are. And yet he's willing to call us out and challenge us on, on things. He's righteous, he's just, and he loves people enough to call out the nonsense. See, a challenge from God is only as good as our willingness to open our ears and respond. And God wants to challenge us and change us. Jesus welcomes us as we are, but he wants every single one of us to change. And you often hear in relationships that that's not acceptable, right? Like you need to love someone as they are. Don't try to change them. Jesus is trying to change you. I need to give you the heads up. Now that change doesn't affect his love for you. Whether you make the change or not, his love for you is always complete and perfect and whole. But he calls us to change so that we can enter into deeper relationship with him and we can live more fruitful lives. The problem with just seeking a Jesus that's in our mind, that's our idea, is it gets all intertangled and mixed up with what we want Jesus to be and who we wish he was. But it doesn't matter who you wish he was or you, what you want him to be, the real Jesus is even better in real life. And if we want to be a people in a church who grow, we must be diligent in seeking who he really is. How do I do that? Read your Bible. That's it. Not that's it, but that's a really good start point. Actually read your Bible. See what he's like. Ask questions. Pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. I think we should do more of that in 2024. And the final one is this, and Tim, you could join me on guitar, that'd be awesome. It's to live free from fear. Live free from fear. Fear can be absolutely crippling. And despite the economic outlook of 2024, despite the other challenges that may come our way, I truly believe God is calling us to live a year of lightness and freedom. Jesus said this, and Darcy quoted it earlier. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I've heard it said like this, and I want you all to actually do this. I want you to think of the thing that worries you the most about 2024. Think of it right now. You might immediately know exactly what that is. What creates uncertainty in your heart? What makes you feel fearful or concerned? What makes you feel anxious? What are the things we are most worried about in 2024? I've heard it said like this. Well, then you've just identified the areas you're trusting God with the least. That's challenging because we probably get defensive and justify, nah, but, but this is a really big thing. <laughs> He's a really big God. We read Boston books <coughs> every night before bed part of our routine, part of what we do. And the other night we were reading, I was reading him this one about these wooden people that are carved by a master craftsman. 
Um, they're called the Wimmicks, and it's in a book called You Are Special by Max Lucado. It's symbolic of God and His creation. It's a beautiful story, and as I'm reading it to him, he's loving it. He wants to keep reading it every night. The story is always awesome the first five times, and then, you know. But he's enjoying it. Oh, just Friday night, just been, Boston starts crying. He's upset about something. So I go into his room, and I can see he's quite, he's quite upset. Like, he's quite sad about something, and he's sitting up in his bed, and he's pointing at his bookshelf. Puppets, puppets, scary puppets, scary puppets. Puppets. Half of having a toddler is just trying to decipher what they mean. Puppets. And then it click, I realize he means that book. I think Darcy told him they were puppets, but it's all right. We all make mistakes. This was a crucial moment for me as a dad. What do I teach my boy about what we do when we're scared? We choose what we focus on. That's what we do. I don't try to convince him it's not scary because for whatever reason, he found it scary. I just redirect him to something more powerful. And so I said, buddy, when we're scared, we pray to God and he'll help us. And so I prayed with him. He said, God, help me when I'm scared and show me your love. God, fill my heart with your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, he says. And so we prayed it twice and he calmed right down. Eventually, I had to remove the book from the room, but there was something really effective about shifting his focus. Why? Because God's promise in 1 John 4 verse 18 is that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. It's not that there aren't scary or concerning things on the road ahead, but then we focus on the goodness and the love and the bigness of God, those scary things shrink in comparison. Fear is relative, right? It's only scary if you think that thing has authority. It's only scary if you think that thing gets the final say. It's only scary if you think there's no one that can do anything about it. And yet there is. It's the God of the Bible and He's on your side. The Word says, if God is for you, who could be against you? That no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Oh, the weapons will be formed. They just won't prosper against you. I won't waste my breath trying to convince you that next year will be easy because I need all of it to remind you that whatever it looks like, God will be with you in the thick of it and you need not be afraid. 2024, a year where we live without fear. It's gonna be an absolutely beautiful year. And you can go ahead and make all the New Year's resolutions you like, you do you. But would you consider establishing an undercurrent to your life? a powerful, deep-running conviction to go in a certain direction despite the choppiness of the surface. Despite what's going on on the surface, there's a deep current within you going in the right direction to re-establish our priorities for unreserved worship, to be intentionally generous, to seek the real Jesus, and to live free from fear. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for every person that has taken time to gather here today in the name of Jesus. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that it's not just something we read for an ancient, distant, past civilization, but it's alive, active, and living, and it can change and shift something within our life here today. And so we submit ourselves to that word. We say, God, if you've said it, we believe it. And I just pray, God, over every person here today that there would be great anticipation and a rising of faith as they step into 2024. Despite what the year has looked like, God, past performance doesn't dictate 
future performance. What has gone on in the past doesn't dictate what's gonna go on in the future. You're just as good of a God and you're still doing new things, making a way in the wilderness. And I pray in the name of Jesus that 2024, even with its hardships, would be the greatest year of our lives. Year where we would find breakthrough. Year where we would find healing. Year where our faith would rise and we would become more dependent on the real Jesus. God put a fire in our heart to seek Him for who He really is to grow in sensitivity to the presence of the Holy Spirit, to not just think about God, to not just journey where we're reading stories about God, but journey with Him, to be in step with what God is doing and saying in our lives. We pray, Lord, for blessing. We ask for blessing on our lives. We ask that You provide for us and we're dedicated to making room in our world for the provision of God. We thank You, Lord, that if You've already gone ahead, it's a plan that we can trust. And we choose to surrender to you today the plans that we have for 2024. And above all of it, we pray, God, would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.